to end if love remains a unique show spotlighting people ideas science culture and art your host mike lovett, mike lovett. rachel thank you so much for that introduction Elias Axel Pedersen is back in the house. How you doing, Elias? Hey, Mike. How's it going? I love that intro. That's really cool. <laughs> Thanks. It's, it is fun, and it's great. You know, I, I'm really lucky to have uh, my daughter part of a yeah, show, even amazing. when it's, you know. It's <laughs> great. It's awesome when she's doing that. But uh, I'm, I'm really excited to have you back, have you know us back together, talking some music, talking some piano. and um, It's been a while. It has been, you know, it's we took a, we took a little break for the summer, but it's great yeah. to be back. And some of the, and let's for a second, mm-hmm. let's just, just mention a couple of exciting things that happened this summer. We had a, mm-hmm. um, a, a couple of, of piano festivals. We had a, mm-hmm. uh, you, you sponsored and put together your own piano festival in Albuquerque. And then mm-hmm. you were also part of a, a, a big piano festival here in Phoenix with uh, API. Uh, what, mm-hmm. Just briefly, why don't you just touch on, on those two events and, and kind of how, how those, how they went. Sure, sure. It's great to be back. We have lots to talk about. Uh, and we have a really cool lineup this year, at least from the musical perspective. And, and I know you've got a lot of good guests coming on as well. So, um, yeah, well, you said mention briefly or talk about it briefly. It's hard to speak briefly about <laughs> right. summer festivals. Well, it, it is a of- podcast, so you don't have to be too brief. <laughs> That's true. Um, well, I'll talk, I guess I'll go in order. And certainly Arizona Piano Institute API, which is here in town, will will read um, we'll kind of retract some stuff or uh, what am I trying to say? We'll go, we'll go around again and talk about it because uh, I definitely want to talk about it from a competitions perspective and uh, running the competition there a couple of years yeah. ago online and, and what we might be doing in the future. So I'll just give a brief rundown uh, for those of you who aren't aware, Arizona hosts a wonderful piano Institute or, or we do, it's called API Arizona piano Institute. And uh, it's a very small Board of Directors, we're all volunteers, and we just really enjoy putting together this festival. It occurs every summer, usually the first uh, first full week of June, basically. And it's basically getting a lot of kids together up till age 18 now. We did have some college people in the past, and we might int- reintroduce that at some point. But it's, it's mostly geared towards the pre-collegiate uh, students from about age 9 or 10 to about 18, at a certain level and above. And we get about 30, 30 to 40 students or so, roughly, uh, that are broken into groups. And then they go around with their group and play in master classes for uh, the guest artists and for teachers that we've got. And a master class is basically sort of a public private lesson. So when you have a private lesson with a teacher, it's a one on one experience. You're getting some. Uh, some really good insights into the music. Well, this is just in front of your peers, your classmates in that group, and and some auditors that come as well. We do have quite a few auditors, so it's great to put that festival on. We do, you know, the and, and you really year have we're basically had, planning. Yeah, and you've you know? had some top class, world uh, top notch, world class uh, musicians and and instructors at at that event every year. <laughs> Yeah, we've brought in a, a lot of great people. I mean, we have our perennial people from uh, from in town, 
who are, they're all retired professors basically from big schools. Uh, and so we've, we've got, you know, Diane Baker and Professor Zellheim from, uh, he taught at ASU. He's a professor emeritus from ASU. Um, and she taught in Utah for a number of years. And then we've got uh, Elizabeth Berdonov, who taught for many, I think, three decades or so at the University of Cincinnati Conservatory. And she joins us uh, every summer. And then we bring in a guest artist from outside, usually from a fairly big name school. So we've we've brought, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think, Nalita True came here a couple times from Eastman. Uh, Norman Krieger came here when he was at USC. Now he's at IU. Uh, Yuri Kott actually came here all the way from Ukraine, from the uh, Kiev Conservatory. And then we had Pavlina Dokovska from Manis. And this last year we had Alan Chow um, from Eastman. And we're... We'll see who we have next year. We're always excited to see who can who we can bring. So, um, yeah. so and talk about the the caliber of the of the pianists that they go there. I mean, well, um, I remember a, when I when I went there and 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 you know volunteered and mm-hmm. I was a part of it. I was very impressed with a lot of the the students that were participating. Oh yeah, for sure. And and you actually had a couple students come and and we really loved having you there as a as a volunteer. It was great. Um, we we get some really good students. Uh, some that are, you know, this might be their first piano festival that they've gone to. So they're kind of breaking into that world and seeing what's out there. You know, they might be really good in their studio or they practice a lot at home and, you know, in their family, they're pretty good. But then they get to see, OK, this is sort of the cream of the crop uh, in Arizona. And we've had people come from out of state as well. So the the level gets quite high and there are some really wonderful people. But what I really like about it is that the camaraderie is is just yeah. incredible and everybody's very supportive. It's a, it's a really non-competitive atmosphere. So there's no competition there. It's just we're all here to, to make music and hear each other and learn from each other. Um, and I really yeah, like what, to see see that a lot. One other, one other person, and it was, it was a little bit of an unusual choice, I think, for, for a mostly – um, classical oriented um, uh, uh, piano festival, but this year you also had. Um, oh my gosh, I blank oh, on his Mike name. Michael, I forgot to say, Mike yeah, my, who's so an amazing we, pianist. Yeah, he's from, a jazz from, pianist out of ASU. Yeah, he's a professor at ASU. Wonderful man to work with. Very, very congenial and just easygoing. And you know, he plays some wonderful music. And we decided this year to have more of a uh, an emphasis on something else. And so he gave workshops every day. And he was, you know, one of the faculty members. And he uh, he provided the kids with some some great ideas of just how to improvise. You know, a lot of these kids were, and and me included. I went to some of his sessions to watch. Uh, we're used to just playing the notes on the page that we see. We're raised in that tradition. We're not raised in an improvisatory uh, tradition. In fact, I get very scared to improvise and just, you know, make up something on the spot. Uh, and so he really opened up, I think, a lot of doors for people and, and they saw, oh, this is something I can try and I can do and succeed at. So that, yeah. was, that was a great addition this, this year. And we're hoping to capitalize and, and maybe do something like that in the future as well. That'd be fun. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think it also adds a little, you know, a little, little difference sets you apart a little bit in, in, a, in a way. I don't think a, a lot of traditional places do that. Um, no. And I mean, this is the only festival of its kind in, in the entire Southwest. And, right. and we always talk about each year, you know, okay, what, uh, what kind of value are we offering to Arizona residents? Because we do want to increase um, the abilities and the opportunities of students here, the only thing that they can often do is go to California 
to uh, some extremely expensive uh, festivals or go to the East Coast. There are quite mm-hmm. a few. Um, Again, very expensive. <laughs> and they're very expensive. There are a couple famous ones. There's one in, in Colorado at Aspen, which first of all is very tough to get into. And it's, it's also ex- extremely expensive. So we, we first of all keep our costs very low, um, <laughs> including this year with the pandemic. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just uh, what the amount of value that they get from it, you know, taking lessons from some of these teachers and just being around music for eight hours a day, five days a week. And yeah. all the classes that they get and all the lectures and the, you know, workshops and things. And it's just a great opportunity. Uh, and it's right here at home. So it's, it's very close. It doesn't matter where you live. If we do have some people come from Flagstaff and Tucson, but if you're in the Phoenix area, you know, this is just a wonderful, wonderful place. And then one, and then one other thing that we will come back to, because this is what kind of be the, the meat of our subject, is is you guys do have a, a, a or sponsor a piano competition. I think this year wasn't it specifically a concerto competition. So we did. Um, we tried to introduce a concerto competition in our let's see if I can remember our fifth season, fourth or fifth okay. season, and and we did it sort of in conjunction with the summer festival. So it was around the same time. And it was very successful. Uh, we didn't have a huge turnout because it was our first time, and we kind of put a lot of limiting parameters on it just to see how it would how it would run, and it it was great. Um, the winners from that played with the PYS, the Phoenix Youth Symphony, or P- yeah, uh, and then also with Music Nova, uh, that's mm. a professional orchestra in the Valley, and so that was a lot of fun to put together. And I at that time I was helping to put all that together and get the judges ready. And so I kind of took on the role then and, and subsequently of uh, competitions director. And the year after, basically during uh, the pandemic, we put on an online competition. And at first it was, I guess we'll get into some of the behind the scenes. You know, at first we thought, let's just try this. You know, a lot of competitions are going online now. Everything, right. Everything's online. School is online, et cetera, et cetera. So we thought we'll, uh, we'll try something. And we, but we have to make it very, you know, very professional and dot our I's, cross our T's, you know, because we've seen a lot of the competitions out there. My, my wife and I, you know, we've both been on, on the professional circuit for a long time. We've both done international piano competitions before. Uh, we know what it's like out there and, right. and, uh, how, how confusing it can be and, and how, even the most fair competitions can seem unfair and there are always accusations of the, yeah. So given that we wanted to make, you know, the most airtight, uh, fair, you know, um, competition that we could and, and, you know, have everything that we could. So we thought, okay, what's going to make this viable? And we figured, okay, if we can get five people per category, we had three categories to separate by age, a junior, a senior, and a young artist. And the young artist was, you know, 18 to 25. The senior was uh, 14 to 18. And the junior was uh, 8 to 14-ish. Um, and so you had to, you know, your birthday had to fit within those uh, parameters. But if we could get five, maybe 10 per category, you know, we're, we're going to be viable. We got some donations to help out. Uh, one of the board members was very generous to help with some of the prize money. And um, we wanted to offer some real opportunities, some real prize money, not just okay, you're going to get a certificate and we're going to send you, you know, a picture in the mail. It's, right. You're going to win a little bit of money. You're going to win a scholarship. All the winners got scholarships to API, a full That's, scholarship. And wow. um, if, they, if they want to use it, of course, many were out of state, so they choose, you know, not to use it. Um, 
or or whatever. So we we really gave and also feedback. We wanted to give feedback back on everybody's performance, not just the winners. Uh, so that, that was a wow. That a that's quite to, a lot for for the judges. Yeah, and so at the beginning we kind of got a, a few judges together, some from our board internally and some, you know, outside people that we know and respect and uh, know that they can do a great job for sort of the preliminary and, and thought, okay, we'll have a, a finals panel of pretty big names, actually very big names. Um, and so we, we put it together thinking, okay, we'll get five, 10, 15 uh, kids to sign up for this and see how it goes. Well, at the beginning, we, you know, we published it well in advance and we got about 10 to 12 people and okay. thought, okay, you know, maybe this isn't going to work. It might not be viable. And then a couple more trickled in. Like, okay, you know, we got to this threshold where we thought, okay, we're going to actually do this thing. So good thing we've got all the forms ready and, and things are going smoothly. And right. then we started getting emails and interests and people were looking at it. And we, we looked at some of the um, – um, the uh, what, what is it called when you have the metrics on yeah. Google – and you can trace, you know, you can track who's looking at it from where people were looking at it in Russia, people were looking at it in Asia, different countries, like all over the world. But wow. of course, a lot in the States, because there's a North American wide competition. So Canada and the US um, and a few in, in Mexico as well were, were looking at it. Um, and then we just started getting more and more hits and people were, were taking a look. We sent a big email out to you know, a lot of teachers. And then the application started trickling in more and more. And and then they got 20, 30, you know, up to like 40 or 50 about a month before the competition. And then I, I started thinking like, oh, this is kind of more than we thought we'd get. I don't know <laughs> if we can handle this many. Uh, 50, 50 is a lot of people to handle for a competition. Well, then two weeks before, uh, we got a couple more. And usually like the week or two before is when you get the most. So we yeah. were thinking if we've already got this, I don't know what it was, 40, 50, 60 a couple weeks before next week, we're going to get hit with a slew of applicants. And we did. And we got up to um, some applicants sent their application in, you know, one or two minutes before the deadline. It was 1159 <laughs> PM and 59 seconds or whatever on a certain date. I don't remember. And we got, I think we got maybe nine or 10 the last day. And I think we got two or three within the last hour of the application <laughs> deadline where it was like, wow, that just barely made the cutoff. Um, and in the end, we got 130 applicants, wow. uh, which was just way too much, too many to, to handle for the original panel that we thought uh, and that I, I had organized. So I was scrambling to get basically three panels for the preliminaries, and then they would select, they would listen to their category and select, um, I forgot how many would go to the final eight or 10, you know, pianists that would go to the finals. And then the final panel would would uh, listen to the three categories overall and kind of choose from those finalists so that at least we'd have one pair of ears listening to all of the, the categories. Um, but that was a ton to, to put together four judging panels, have meetings on Zoom with all of them and go over the criteria. And, you know, you're only going to be they were only given a number of a participant or a, a contestant. Right. So that it was, was a, it. kind of a blind. Yeah, it was, I mean, they could see the video, but right. we were very explicit and, and the logistics behind the scenes of policing and chasing down, you know, telling somebody who applied, well, you didn't quite follow this rule because it's, it's explicitly states that you've got to um, label your YouTube video such and such a way, you know, make it private and also right. make it so that there's no identifying information. You know, people would put on like uh, 
Matt Smith uh, channel and it was Matt Smith playing. It's like, okay, you, we don't want to know that because maybe one of the judges knows Matt knows Smith. Knows Matt Smith, right. Yeah. I mean, they might know them by looking at them, but we wanted to make it as fair as possible, have no identifying information. So a lot of the little details behind the scenes, uh, I learned a lot in that year and Jessica and I were up, you know, all night for, for about a month to run this thing. And um, I think over the course of the two weeks prior and about the two weeks after when I met with the judges and we d- discussed and deliberated for the final results. And it took about two weeks to, to do all that. Um, in that month, I think I received and or responded to about 2000 emails Insane. Um, in, with the competition. Yeah. So one month, 2000 emails with that. And uh, I'd love to do it again. We'll, we'll see if we can. It was, it was a great experience. Um, and it, it's wonderful to kind of meet with everybody and see their perspective. Of course, I, I couldn't say anything. I was just the supervisor when we would have the judges meetings and maybe I would, I would lead the discussion or, um, ask for a tiebreaker or make a, a tiebreaker decision if there, if that came to it. But luckily things were, were quite smooth and, uh, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to do. So hopefully we can do it again. <laughs> Yeah, well, hopefully, and and what's cool about that is is because of technology, um, not just to avoid the pandemic, you know, issues, but but I think in general, longer longer term, mm-hmm. having the, um, you know, increasing the scope of API and you know having it become kind of a, a more of a known quality a quantity mm-hmm. is um is a really cool thing that you guys are were able to pull off and and i'm excited about the future and what 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 that holds um, oh me too yeah very cool so we're, we're again we're going to talk a little bit about judging and, and things like that but i but what about tell me about oh. your uh um uh albuquerque piano festival yeah so yeah, it's great. I, I love, I can go on a, oh, yeah. a, a down a path, a rabbit hole here with the competition stuff and we'll come back. But uh, I loved, so my festival, I started in 2015, I believe. Uh, it's called Southwest Piano Festival. And there's a website, we'll, we'll put it on, uh, you know, we can link it to this, uh, swpianofestival.org. And I started it because I wanted, I mean, I always came back to my hometown. I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico from the age of three until, you know, through high school. And I always came back to visit family and um, all my mom's family was there and and many of them still are uh, and to perform. So I usually come home winter break for three, three weeks or so. And I'd come home in the summer and I would perform a a couple concerts here and there. When my, my grandma moved to retirement home when I was in uh, probably during my master's, I would perform at her retirement home things like that. When my mom, when I moved her into a, a retirement home as well, um, an assisted living, I played there for a few times. And then I'd kind of make the assisted living retirement home uh, circuit. I do the concert circuit there uh, and get a few concerts in during the se- the uh, winter season and summer season. So anyway, right. one one day I just thought, you know, maybe it'd be nice to do more of a professional thing and and have an actual event so that everybody knows every year there's going to be something around this time. Um, so I asked a, a friend of mine who's a pianist composer. Uh, his name is Colin Martin. And uh, I first met him actually because he, he and I studied with the same piano teacher, although many years apart. And when I was coming back during my master's degree to give master classes, uh, I, I contacted my former teacher, Mary Beth Gunning, and said, do you have any students that could play for me in a master class? And she said, yeah, actually I do. Um, this, this kid who I, well, I mean, he was a kid at the time. I think he was 14. 
and he played <laughs> fantasy impromptu for me and and in the master class and it was very nerve-wracking because i had also studied that piece with my teacher with mary beth gunning when i was 14 years old and here he was playing it for me at 14 and and she was there so i thought wow. what, what should i say <laughs> it, it was actually a lot of fun and a very successful class and and then she she loved it he loved it i loved it and so she kind of said you know when you come back to town uh every year i think you can you should give him a lesson and it kind of grew into he was a student and then got older and went to college and and i mentored him a little bit gave him some ideas and then he basically became a friend of mine and has remained a friend ever since and uh, now is going to help me really promote and and uh, put together uh, southwest piano festival spf so anyway, that's a long story, short story, I guess, behind Colin Martin. And um, he, he's gone off as a composer and he's he's now done very well. He's had two world premieres with the New Mexico Philharmonic, among many other accolades. Wow. So um, he and I decided, let, let's just put something together in 2015. We'll just do a concert, one concert at a church where I used to play. And and uh, we'll just, you know, we'll, we won't charge tickets or anything like that. We won't sell tickets. I want it to be free, but people can give donations as, as they see fit and we'll okay. buy some food and have, so anyway, it was a very low key, small event. And we actually made a couple hundred bucks split it. And it was, it was nice, you know, to actually get paid to put on a, a recital. Right. So that was a lot of fun. And then I thought we should do this again. And so next year, the next, the following year, 2016, I thought let's expand it and try to get more of the community involved. Maybe some younger pianists, uh, from the community. So I was already in my mid twenties. I thought maybe some UNM students, you know, I knew some of the faculty at UNM and maybe some high school up and coming students. So I contacted some, contacted a few folks. And, uh, there's also a, a very well-known, at least locally, a, a well-known competition that's now, I think in its 30th year, it's called a Jackie McGeehee young artist competition. And it's for strings and piano. And that's been going on since I was in middle school okay and uh sh they have a winner every year that plays with the new mexico phil and i thought why don't we why don't we try to coordinate with them and, and kind of join forces and maybe the winner or previous winners can play in my festival um so that they kind of get another performance opportunity as part of their prize so i've started that to give them a, a more of a performance platform and so oh. anyway it grew from one recite one concert the first year to two concerts the second year featuring three different pianists including and myself and then and we had to change venues and then we went to the third year three concerts friday saturday sunday nights still keeping it free my mission was always to offer free concerts of great classical piano music to the new mexico public uh, free of charge so uh, anybody can come and now now it's being hosted at the new mexico school of music it's been there the last four festivals basically and i hope we'll be there for many years to come what and a I, I basically legacy. put on a three evening festival friday saturday sunday nights friday is one of the winners from the jackie mcgee and um one maybe up and coming high school or college age student um something like that so and, and may, or maybe two so we have two to three performers oh and then my friend started a chamber festival there so one of one or two of the groups from the chamber festival will play uh, Saturday night is always an invited guest artist who is sort of a, a bigger name, you know, who already has a concert career nationally. And uh, then Sunday, Jessica and I play as a duo, and it's it's worked out very well. So this year we put on our sixth. It was the first time in three years that we've ever been able to present it. 
And I was very happy the turnout wasn't the, the best because I think we're still getting in the you know post pandemic mindset. It was, right, it was tough, right. just on the wrong weekend. But uh, it's it's you know getting back up, and I'm now applying to be a, a nonprofit, which is a huge process and an expensive. That process. is a serious. Yeah, that's a serious endeavor in itself. <laughs> yeah, so putting all that together and it's it's a ton of fun. I mean, it again, the behind the scenes and creating the program and getting everybody to send me their bios on time and, you know, trying hunting them down like, "Hey, you didn't send me this." and all the emails back and forth. That that can be a little bit difficult, but right. in, at the end of the day, we get a really nice program and and great recitals and it's just so much fun. And it does it, I mean, for me, because it does, I, I know how when you're in the weeds of, of putting on a recital or putting on a, you know, putting on a show or mm-hmm. getting ready for something, you know, that, that it, it, you can get in the weeds and it can get so frustrating. And so like, you, you just know you're in the weeds and you also know, like somehow magically it's going to come together and it's going to be, it's good. It's, it's both going to be exactly what you wanted and nothing like you wanted at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I didn't plan this be, at all, but this is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> right. No, it's going to be, it's going to be exactly right. It's just, it's funny yeah. how that works. At least yeah. in my experience is how it tends to work out. It's like, this is not what I exactly planned on, but it's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. It, it's often worked out that way. It's, you know, it's so interesting. And every year I learn something new and, and I think, oh yeah, I have to, I have to make sure I do that next year and, and do this yeah. next year and be on top of that. I just, it's a huge learning experience every year, which is great because I can just add to my, my toolkit. Right. Uh, and if I apply for anything that has that, you know, it, it will help. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great. And I think it gives a really good platform to some of these kids who might not have had a professional, you know, they've played in studio class, they've done some other yeah. things, but this is a professional uh, concert venue and, and they're, playing for that. So it's a great, yeah, it's a big deal. That's a big, big deal. So, um, all right. So I want to, so as somebody who, um, I mean, I, I never really did the piano. I, I, that's not true. I did some piano competitions when I was young. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, but I, I, you know, past, you know, middle school, high school, I never really, I didn't do that. Um, But as somebody who who did yourself, both performed, has has been a judge, um, you know, has now organized judges and organized competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to talk about um, performances as pertaining to um, a competition, because to mm-hmm. me that that's a different thing than a performance that's geared towards a recital. W- would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I wish it wasn't in a way, but. I think it just often is. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I, and, and I think, um, you know, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, well, I, maybe, okay. So I'm going to use a non-musical example. Um, and okay. maybe this makes, maybe this makes sense. Um, I remember this was, I don't know, 20 years ago, they, they first started doing, um, ice dancing in the Olympics mm-hmm. and, um, that. and that was, yeah. it was kind of like the hot thing. Everyone was really excited and it was exciting to watch because, you know, the dancers, it was different. It was couples yeah. dancing and, and they had to be touching all the time. Yeah. Different rules. Right. Yeah. And, and they were doing these amazing, like moves and and somehow at that i think they changed the rules at one point but during that time they'd all like end up like on the ground sliding across it was some just it was just crazy stuff um yeah it was really exciting and and i remember and i wish i i wish i could remember 
the couples and, and more importantly, the couples, but I wish I could also remember the teams, but I, I think it was the United States and Canada. It could have been France. I, I, Canada was involved somewhere in here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. I remember that, but, but there, but there was two couples that were like vying for the gold medal. And, mm. um, and I was really excited about this one couple because they were kind of flamboyant. They, mm-hmm. you know, they wore these really beautiful uh, outfits that were kind of flowing, and and mm-hmm. they would do these big aerials, and 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 I think they were the ones that ended up on the ground a lot, like they were dying, and it was just <laughs> really that like terrifies me because I can barely sk- <laughs> get up on no, two skates with a big padded coat and feel <laughs> right. my way around the rink, <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's just that very, but it was just so exciting to watch. And then there was this other couple, I think this was the Canadian couple, but they, but they were very, um, technical and mm. so like precise and, and mm. you could tell they were very good. They were doing a lot of the same moves, but they weren't as flamboyant. They mm. didn't smile as much. Like there was a difference in the performance. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I remember, this specifically because because I was rooting for the flamboyant team. I think those mm-hmm. those the Americans. I was just I just thought mm-hmm. they were so cool, and and then I uh, judge. And I think that was like the consensus of the um, of the public of, probably of, of the public yeah. watching, and a really I thought this was a wise move. A judge uh-huh. like got on a teleprompter and said, "I want to show you guys something," and he uh-huh. he he took these and they were doing some sort of. Uh, you know, um, I don't know or something. Yeah, or it was a jump of some yeah. sort or some sort of aerial, and yeah. and he said, "Look at this." And he he they were the actually, same aerial or something. They that were they the did. same aerial, and he said, uh-huh. "Look, look at the difference. This is what this should look like, and mm-hmm. and this is this is the angle they're supposed to take, mm-hmm. and watch what this group does and how they make up for it with their flamboyance, and mm-hmm. then look at this other couple and how precise and perfect and mm-hmm. just." just technically accurate they are and it changed my whole mindset in an instant went whoa that Uh is amazing because now i under now i get it now i know why that couple not only is better than the other couple but is really exciting to see them do the things that they do Uh even though i just literally 30 seconds earlier i thought they were boring and i was like oh and it it just so interesting it changed everything for me. And so I feel a little bit the same way when it comes to like, not necessarily competition, but great playing, great mm-hmm. artistry, great piano playing specifically, because, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and I think that, and so when I say like, there's a difference between the competition pianist or playing in a, a competition and playing for a recital in some ways it, it, it can be not always, but mm-hmm. it can sometimes be like that difference between the flamboyant for the public versus the technical perfection kind of thing. And, and, yeah. and I don't mean perfection as like, it's like mechanical, but I mean, we're like the artistic perfection, like, like everything is, wow. is like, what is that though? It's hard to pin that. It really <laughs> is. Yeah, and you, you so, bring up a so lot that, of points. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping that maybe you can shed a little insight on on what that means. <laughs> yeah, well, each of the things you brought up, it's actually, gosh, now I can't remember all of it. We'll try to get through some, but yeah, there are certain words and um, definitions of things that I don't even know if there's really a consensus, and I struggle with it all the time. By the way, it's not like I have the answer to this stuff. Um, these are the things that. 
come up in juries and, and when we're deliberating and yeah, you know, what, what do we, what do we look for? Who's looking for what, what are we prioritizing and, and what the, like, what does it mean to be technical when you say mm-hmm. that even that's tough because when we say technique in a, let's say in ice skating, it might be um, this person did a perfect three rotations and came down at the right angle on this foot and, you know, didn't wobble and w- whatever little things that ice skaters will know. Um, but then within that, like how, how art, what does even artistic mean? Does it mean right. just throwing your hands up in the air all the time? And uh, is, is being flamboyant artistic? Sometimes, you know, sometimes. Maybe, maybe sometimes it isn't. And there are different types of artistry. Uh, it's very hard to define that because that can be, subjective too it's like what's beautiful um beauty is very subjective so well i, I, I think, think by the way and i think that's i think you're right but i also think there are some subjective or objective things that right. we can pinpoint you know yes. and i think there's more um if we can understand those things better then mm-hmm. we can talk about the subjectiveness of it yeah oh for sure and uh i think that's a fun kind of exercise to do and uh yeah, I, I guess, I guess what I'm looking for, what I'm listening to in, in different competitions. Uh, first, I'll say there's a caveat that a lot of com- competitions out there, uh, all all these big name judges and pianists that you hear, they always lament how competitions are just producing robots. You know, and I think mm-hmm. that's what you're getting at. That competition playing is different from recital playing. Uh, some com- bigger competitions, I think, are trying to combat this a couple ways. One is to give a freer range of repertoire so you can do what you feel is best for you. Um, okay. And also giving longer times, more recitals instead of just you come in and play these three imposed pieces or, or whatever. Okay. So you get a little bit more of that recital feel. Um, like, you know, Van Cliburn will do something like that where you've got two or three recitals. But how much harder play. is that to, to judge them? <laughs> but, but it's also very hard because then you have a ton of uh, different repertoire. Now, there are some pieces that uh, rear their heads, uh, ugly or not ugly. <laughs> right. Um, many times. And there are certain pieces that are played, you know, umpteen times. And then some pieces that are played maybe only once by a competitor who thought, I'm going to try this, this piece, which is maybe little bit outside the normal realm. Uh, sometimes it's very successful to, you know, and, and good to do that. But uh, those, well, those and, competitions and- can, can be very successful. And, and some of the big, big name pianists that judge them, you know, they might be on the same page. They might disagree. Oftentimes they really vehemently disagree. And there have been some competitions in the past where a, a famous person will actually leave or quit the jury because they're in such disagreement with wow. what the choice was made. And I, I think the most famous instance of that is probably the Chopin competition in 1980, where um, Ivo Pogorelic was one of the competitors, and he was maybe 21 or 20, I don't know, very early 20s, I think, at the time. And Martha Argerich was on the jury. I think she was the head of the jury. Uh, but it was, a you know, the panel of jury members was legendary, and she's still legendary. She's 80 and still performing all over the world. Incredibly. Um, So she was on the, on the competition jury and somehow Pogorelic didn't make it through to the final round or something. I don't know where he got eliminated, maybe in the semifinal round. And um, you know, she kind of thought that this is the next great artist of the world of the generation, you know, in the Mm -hmm. the, seventies and eighties. And she said, well, I mean, 
what, what are we listening for? Kind of that he's amazing and he didn't even make it through. So I, I quit, you know, she quit the jury and subsequently he developed a huge career from that, that fiasco, but <laughs> unfortunately unfor- or unfortunately, so the winner of that competition was uh, a wonderful pianist, Vietnamese pianist, Dong Tai Sun, whom I know quite well. He was, uh, he taught at my former, at my alma mater. Okay. And I, I got to know him and hear him many times. He's an amazing pianist and, you know, very deserving winner that year. And I, I think even Pogorelic at his height, you know, if you compare them, they're both world-class musicians. And uh, and luckily, Dong Tai Sun has gone on to develop quite a quite a name and quite a career himself. Um, and and Pogorelic has too. Although recent years he's kind of gotten gone off the deep end. In, in my opinion, he's doing some very strange things, but he's still extremely capable. Uh, so that happens. That happens at competitions. Competitions. And is I that think- usually a? a, a- um, I mean, to simplify it, like mm-hmm. a stylistic thing. In other words, let's say somebody is playing a, a specific piece that the the um, you know is is known to be played in a certain way, and they decided mm-hmm. to to go off the rails <laughs> and mm-hmm. play something, play it quite differently than what is expected. Now, you, there could be something said for like, well you know, how, how well you play it is, is how well you play it in a conventional manner. And, and another perspective would be, well, that's a very different, that, that's such a unique take on it that um, I have to acknowledge the, the, the brilliance the of uniqueness. the playing. Well, know? that's a hard thing. That's a very uh, difficult yeah, needle to thread, if you will, because, you know, uh, interpretation is, is very personal, but by the same token, there are certain objective parameters or things in the score that you can say, okay, they're, they're following that or they're not following that, or they're following that within reason. Um, but I always come back to, there's a performance of Zimmermann that I heard. And I think he's one of the greatest pianists ever. And I heard him in concert in, in Baltimore in the early two thousands. And he played um, a Beethoven sonata. I mean, everybody knows Beethoven sonatas and he played one of the most famous Opus 13, Pathetique. We all played that, you know, when we yeah. were probably in middle school, high school. And and uh, I heard it, I haven't heard it live that many times. I mean, I've heard it live, I've heard it in student recitals, but the full sonata, I hadn't heard it by concert pianist that many times. Um, so I heard him play it. And, you know, he took the repeat all the way back to the beginning. For those of you that know it, there's an opening section, Grave, and, and right. uh, it's a couple minutes long. And then you get into this Allegro section, uh, which is the main theme, and there's a repeat sign. And usually people repeat back to that. Well, he repeated to the very beginning and did the grave the section. Grave? And I thought this was very weird. I haven't, I thought when he did it, he he couldn't have had a memory slip, not the great Zimmerman. But it, for a split second, I thought, did he have a memory slip? But anyway, he went back to the beginning and he played the grave differently, more uh, just as great. But uh, it was interesting to hear the, di- the differences. Huh. And it was just his artistic choice. And at the after about a split second where I thought, this is weird, this is wrong, I started to think, wow, this is actually what is supposed to be done. And this is not only great, but it's like it's meant to be this way. And so everybody's been doing it wrong. That, that's how he convinced me. Oh. And I think if we can have that open mind, he wow. also played in, in that concert. Yeah, he, he played a Chopin Fourth Ballade, and I've heard his recording many times, and I've seen it on YouTube, and it's great. Yeah. It's you know maybe one of the best. And he played it better in concert. So if you've heard the one online, it doesn't match up to what I think he can do in concert. And, and I just, it was so powerful. Everything he did, I thought that that's exactly how it's supposed to go. Um, 
it was just an amazing experience to be immersed in that. And so if I can get into that mindset when I listen to somebody and give them a little, little leeway, you know, with, within some reason, and I think I'm fairly reasonable as a, as a jury member to, to allow them some personal, um, flavor or, you know, color on something I'm, I'm willing to give that. I think a lot of big names say they're willing to give that, but then their judging record doesn't always, uh, doesn't yeah. always match up. I think a lot of big competitions in the past have chosen safe people or people, you know, they always say the, the person that offends the least number of jury members will win. <laughs> and so it's somebody that, you know, plays extremely well. Look at these big competitions like Clyburn. Oh, you're not going to have missed notes. <laughs> I mean, oh, and even if you do, it's, it's so rare. And right. um, yeah, things are getting so, so much cleaner because of this recording day and age. And, and now all the big competitions are, are broadcast. They're, you know, they're online. You can follow them in, in real time, they're streamed on, uh, on their own channel and, and other people are streaming and reacting to them on their channels. It's pretty crazy. And that's a lot of pressure to know that you're not well, just playing in a closed recital hall for a jury member and some, or for some jury and, and audience, you're playing for millions of people around. Which the world. by the way is super, is, is exciting in its own right. Because mm-hmm. if you have, I, I think about like in a, in a kind of a layman's way, um, mm-hmm. if you think about the American Idol competitions that they mm-hmm. did, um, you know, in some ways, you almost wanted to be like the people's choice that didn't make it to the top 10. Because mm-hmm. if you were outside the top 10, you, you didn't have to sacrifice a record deal to Simon. But you were, mm-hmm. but you were guaranteed like a big deal because cause you, had, you were like the people's choice. If you can like right. split, the, like you didn't want to win necessarily <laughs> because then right. you were like locked in for the next 10 years with Simon. But if you could yeah. just like split the needle of, of, of not winning, but being like the, 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 the guy that everybody loves. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was sort of in some competitions, I don't know how apocryphal it was, but this first place curse and a lot of second prize winners oh. went on to have bigger, careers yeah. and first prize winners. So, you know, um, and I think, I think there's yeah. something to that. Like, yeah. like, I, and I don't know what it is, if it's a psychological thing or, you know, uh, it's, a. um, I, I mean, I, I don't know, or, you know, somebody gets second place and gets a chip on their shoulder kind of a thing, mm-hmm. but, um, I don't think it's so much uh, the case anymore, or at least in the big competitions, all of the prize winners, um, are getting, contracts and are getting yeah. you know, concerts set up for them and are developing some sort of career. If I think of the Clyburn in the last five or six, I mean, some of the, like one of the third prize winners from a f- few competitions back, I, I know him well. He's, he's taught a master class for, uh, for us before. His name is Sean Chen. He teaches at UMKC. Wonderful human being, wonderful pianist. I think he got third prize um, two Clyburns ago. And they're every five years, so about ten years ago, or four or five years. And in any case, he's developed quite a career. And yeah. uh, you know, he didn't win, but he, he at that level, if you're one of the top three in that competition, oh, you're, you're going good. to have a career. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. You're you're yeah. so you're, you're gonna what um what so so how does um I mean this is kind of a. I, uh, curious question. How does mm-hmm. uh, kind of off the subject? Not off the subject, but but um, a little different maybe. How does one like start to get noticed and start to enter into these competitions? What like at what point does do you get to to um you know uh, try out for the the Clyburn or, or you know? Well, 
Like, oh, how yeah. does that well, work? So the, there are age limit restrictions. I don't know if you mean like, how do you develop as a young pianist to get ready for these? That's one question. Well, um, I, guess, the I other- guess the question is, the first question is like, how do you get noticed in order to even consider yourself like, yes, I want to do that? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know if it's so much get noticed. I, I, look, all the people that are in the Clyburn have won previous competitions at some point. Uh, although the the lowest the low age uh, for entry is eighteen, and it turns out this year was quite a a feat because they had the youngest winner, and he was eighteen. Oh wow! And he hadn't been in many competitions. In fact, this is I, I think his first competition was like three or four four years ago, and it was a, a junior competition because he was fourteen, and and he got second or third prize. I think it was at Cleveland. Um, and then he did a couple. He's from Korea, uh, South Korea. So he's uh, Yun Chun Lim, wonderful pianist. And then he just like burst onto the world scene. I, I mean, he's going to have an enormous career. And after hearing him, I heard all his rounds uh, at this year's Clyburn. I didn't hear all the competition this year. A few years ago, I, I heard like almost every competitor and followed it, but I just don't have the time. Um, but I heard all his rounds and he's just, he has the staying power. And he was a mm. you know very deserving winner. He's eighteen, and yeah, it's just phenomenal. So I don't know if he he didn't really win a lot of things to get up to that, but he he knew he was good. His his teacher is also a well known pianist, a wonderful yeah. Korean pianist, and so he said, "Yeah, you're you're ready to do this." And you know he has all the repertoire. This is, there's an immense amount of repertoire you have to prepare. That's the other thing. There there aren't many people that can prepare four or five hours of repertoire at such a high level for these competitions. Um, but it is true that you, you do have a pre-screening round for these. And um, I, I actually applied to the Clyburn many years ago. And the first round was just an application with the resume and letters. You know, they don't even hear you play. Okay. Uh, and so I sent my resume. And at the time, I didn't have enough uh, international experience or competitions under my belt. I had a couple prizes in some international competitions, but they weren't first and they weren't big enough to be considered to go to the round where they would hear me play. So I, you know, I could have been phenomenal at that point, although, you know, realistically, uh, I wasn't at the level of those that got in, uh, I'll be honest, but you know, I just, I wasn't even given that opportunity because there are three or 400 out of us that applied and they only, went to the regional rounds with I don't know, 150, 200, and then they cut those to 30. And those are the only people that anybody hears because they go to Fort Worth and compete. So you're cutting down from 400-ish to, to 30. And then you know half of those are eliminated in the first round. And, and then half of those are eliminated in the second round. You get six finalists and three prizes. So it's, it's pretty, yes. uh, pretty brutal. That it is brutal, and and there's got to be. I mean, the competition has just got to be so high. Just to, it's extremely just to high, and there are so many competitions today, uh, these days. Many more than there were in certainly like the teachers I've studied with their generation and their teachers' generation. It, there just weren't as many. And if you if you were in a competition back then and you did well, any almost any prize, you were kind of guaranteed a career for a while. And mm-hmm. nowadays, some of these performers have won multiple prizes and, and still, and still go strong. on to the next competition or try to win one of the big three, yeah. you know, Tchaikovsky, Chopin, or Clyburn, uh, because then you're set. But, you know, they might win. I, I, there are some previous winners of the Cleveland competition, which used to be called the Casa de Sioux, 
and they've gone on to the Clyburn competition. It's like, you already won Cleveland. You know, it's so big. <laughs> but they, they've It's they've not big on. enough. I want more. <laughs> yeah. And, and sometimes they've done very well at Clyburn. There's, um, I think, one of the great pianists right now, living pianists, is Antonio Pombavaldi. And he won Cleveland in the, I want to say, 90s. And then he went into the, the uh, Clyburn and got second prize. Uh, in the Clyburn, but uh, I mean, he was—he was certainly one of the favorites, and he has a great career now. And he's just a phenomenal, a very humble, also musician. You are listening to "And If Love Remains."